This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Tess Woods, welcome to Better Reading. Hello. So exciting to be here. I know. I'm very excited to have you um, because we um, we met a few years ago, didn't we? We did. Yeah, we were just trying to work out when. I think it's like three, four years ago now. Yeah, it'd have to yeah. be then. And I went to Perth and you were, well, you took me under your wings and showed me around and had a little car and I was worried for my life. I can't believe we're like, what, 30 seconds, we're already there. <laughs> it didn't take long. <laughs> Discredi- about me being discredited for my from the opening <laughs> sequence. I discredited <laughs> about driving, not about writing. I'm a much better writer than I am a driver. Yeah, which yes. is really good to hear, isn't it? <laughs> and for those readers out there, they're going to like that. But it was a cute little car. What was it? It's a Mini. And do you still have it? I do. I still have it. I adore that car. And what colour was it? It's blue. Oh, bright right. blue with a white yeah. roof. Yeah. My children hate it because it's a two doors. So they have to scramble in, you yeah. know. In and out, but I don't really care. No, don't worry about the children. <laughs> Who cares? Now, I am going to introduce you. You live in Perth uh, with your husband, two children, one dog, and a cat who rules over them all. Um, now, that's just what cats do, right? <laughs> she is the master of the house. Is she? I just have Evil never, minks. ever taken to cats. Love I dogs. was never a cat person until I got it. I didn't want a cat, but the household voted and, you and we got and I am so in love with that animal I can't even begin to tell you oh wow so there's still hope for me she sleeps in a pram <gasps> I'm not even kidding she, she has does. her own pram yeah, yeah. wow <laughs> see I often think I was in Tokyo recently and I saw a lot of dogs in prams not cats oh yeah you do see that a lot in Tokyo oh, um and I always think there's something wrong with the owner when I see that <laughs> So I'm there just is saying a lot it. wrong with this owner. <laughs> I'm just saying that, right? I don't think it's a well, cat's fault. We don't fork. take the pram out. It's a private pram. Oh, it's okay. So not you're not walking down no, the street I'm not with the cat in no, the pram. No, it's just she's set up in her pram, and it's got like pink frills and pillows, and and, and did you put it so it? that she warms herself in the sun? Yeah, it's an antique like pram <laughs> for her. Catch. You bought it for her. It's not like you I had think a we pram. We need to move on from the cat. <laughs> Do you? Okay. Well, I feel like right. with the driving and the cat, you know, it's, it's my reputation's shot already. <laughs> already. Okay. We'll move on. It was in the intro. I was just following the cues. Okay. Tess's oh. debut novel, Love at First Flight, was published in 2015. And I love the story of how that came about. So we'll get there. Okay. It received acclaim from readers worldwide and it won the Book of the Year in the Osram Today's Reader's Choice Awards, which was fantastic. Your second book, Beautiful Messy Love, 
was a 2017 Better Reading Top 100 pick. It sure was. It sure was. Um, so today you're here to say hi to us and to see me, but also to talk about Love and Other Battles, <laughs> which was what, just released now? It's out on Monday. Out on Monday. Yeah. Spanning the trauma of the Vietnam War to the bright lights of Nashville. And I feel that it's very different to the other two books. <sighs> the epidemic of teenage self-harm to the tragedy of incurable illness. Love and Other Battles is the heart-wrenching story of three generations of Australian women who learn that true, true love is not always where you seek it. Do you know what I like about you? It's always raw. You know, yeah. it's just there's no frills, right? Yeah, I have um, I have no other way to write. I don't know how to write pretty, mm. you know. I, I just know how to write what I'm feeling really. So it's always just raw and that's actually toned down version of my raw because that's after editors have got to it and said, that's too raw. <laughs> so, mm, that's too raw. Yeah, yeah. Okay, tell me um, tell me uh, about how and when it all started and also wh- how you got to Perth. Oh, so um, yeah, moved to Perth. Okay, um, we had a newborn at the time. We had a newborn and a three-year-old, and we were kind of my husband and I were both physios, and we were really stuck for I think just moving forward. We were out in a in a small country town in a little house. And Whereabouts? Out in Balnarring, um, off the Mornington Peninsula in Victoria. And there weren't many opportunities really for physios there. So we were both doing a really long commute to work. And and then this practice came up in Perth. My husband was actually looking at Melbourne practices and we saw this practice in Perth and we'd actually been to Perth years before, loved the place. So we actually, my husband came out, talked to the practice owner. We bought the practice. We bought a house on the internet, hadn't seen it. It's so, so brave. Yeah, I remember was, you telling me this story. And I thought it was so brave. <laughs> so then, yeah, we moved out and I guess just met our new friends and it was through mother's group and the children when they started school. And So you had one child when you moved? We had two. So we had a three-year-old and a six-month-old when we wow. moved. Yeah. So yeah. broke our parents' hearts, sadly. It was a very tough move. Yeah, I can imagine. But yeah, it's we wouldn't look back now. We love our life in WA. Yeah. yeah. Um and so tell me what were the first few years like? They were they were definitely hard and a little bit lonely, I guess, but having children is a great breakdown for when you're trying. Like it it's, it helps you not be lonely because you have to get out there for your kids. So I met mums through Tom's like little play group and Lara's mother's group and Pretty quickly we formed a circle of friends that now feel like family after all these years. But I guess those first few years, you know, I'd been with my friends since high school and all our family are literally all in Melbourne. So it did feel quite isolating. But at the same time we were building our future and and we moved to this place where we could actually use the beach because we used to live on the beach at the Mornington Peninsula but it was freezing so, you know, we never swam. Whereas now we were at the beach six months of the year and... The lifestyle was really lovely. Mm, it's really quite beautiful. And so tell me yeah. about the the practice. So have you still got that? We do. So we still, we actually ended up with three practices at one stage, which was really dumb mm, for the two and of hard us. work. Yes. So that didn't last very long. I think we had five years where we had the three practices and then we sold off one. 
and we're currently trying to sell off another now and really just focus on the very first one that we bought, which is where we both work too. Mm. And you yeah. still work? I do still work. So I do um, mostly over 75. So I run an over 75s exercise class once oh, a week, wow. which is so fun. have two 92 to 93-year-old in there. Um, and I do lots of work with new mums, like I work with mastitis patients and yeah, just pregnancy. And so really my work is split into the two. Like I either do geriatric work or, um, yeah, postnatal work. And then you work on writing. And I work on writing when I'm not working at the clinic. Yeah. Because mm, that's another job, isn't it? It is. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me about where, how, you know, in that business, two young children, a mm-hmm. uh, new business, uh, and so when did the writing come in and how did the writing come in? It came in just out of left field. I don't think in all our years of marriage I'd even said to my husband once, you know, I'd like to be a writer. I just hadn't – I was a voracious reader mm-hmm. and loved books but had never really thought about writing. And um, as embarrassing as it is, I was reading Twilight, the Twilight Saga. Mm-hmm. And Along with a couple of million other people. Oh, far out. Just yeah. read all of those books in a row. Um, and I was trying to finish them quickly because I knew the Twilight movie was coming and I didn't realise that was just for the first book. So I thought <laughs> I had to read all the books before the movie came out. And then... Just um, in case you watch the movie accidentally. Ca- yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to see the movie with my girlfriend and... Um, it was actually that night that I had these very, and it sounds so corny to say, you know, I saw it in a dream, but that's exactly how it happened. I had very vivid dreams and um, and I shook my husband awake in the middle of the night because I'm thoughtful like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to share my dreams. Yeah. And I said to him, there's this woman and she's telling me a story and it's really intense and I feel like there's this whole story that needs to be told and... Anyway, the next morning I said to him, I can't stop hearing this woman's voice in my head telling me to tell this story. And he's like, you know, there's a name for that and I can find you a good psychiatrist. (laughs) But anyway, I really felt compelled to tell this story and I sat down with pen and paper and said to him, you know, you're just going to have to look after these kids for me because I have to go and write this story down or I'm going to go crazy. And I sat down with pen and paper and over three pen days. Pen and paper. Pen and paper. Yeah. Yep, notepad. Um, it was the Australia Day long weekend, I remember. So he had the Monday off, so we had three days off. And I wrote close to 50,000 words in that time. So wow. I just scrawled out the story. And I had the bones of the story from start to finish after that. Um, and it's just, yeah, it came from and had you written nowhere. at all before? Nothing. Like, I mean, nothing. So I have not you... written a letter of complaint to a newspaper. Nothing. Wow. Yeah. So when you finished school and you yeah. went on to study and you went to university to study physiotherapy, yeah. you had not thought about the arts at all? Not at all. I mean, it was never an option. I was an academic Arab girl and academic mm. Arab girls, you mm. become a doctor or a pharmacist or a dentist or a physio, you don't have much choice. No. So I think if I would have told my parents I wanted to write, they both would have laughed themselves stupid. Mm. It just wasn't an option. So it was nothing that I ever really considered. And I loved writing when I was little, that it wasn't this burning passion that I had, you know, it was just I, I enjoyed it when I did it, but I didn't really seek it out. Mm. And then I now yeah, didn't really write anything. I think I didn't even do English Lit in year 12. So stopped writing anything really in school, maybe year nine, year 10. Mm. It's then, interesting because yeah. I think a lot of people do that and then they never pick it up again or, yeah. you know, that, that 
they go on to study teaching or medicine or whatever it is and they yeah. don't think about it again. Yeah. But I guess even if somebody were to come into their dreams, they might ignore it, wouldn't they? Yes, I and I probably would have, but it was so persistent and so loud mm. and I was being like I felt like I was being fed a story that I had to tell and I didn't have to think about how that story would unfold. It just tell me about the story. So I love it first flight. Um, it's about a woman who seems to have it all. She's got a great career, beautiful children, really lovely husband, supportive husband. And she's kind the, the last few months of her life, she's been feeling empty and she really doesn't know why. And then she hops on a flight. She lives in Perth and she hops on a flight to Melbourne and seated next to her is a man, like, you know, stranger. And they get talking on the flight and it just becomes a, an obsessive, very quickly developing affair where nothing else matters in her life anymore except for her relationship with this man. So I guess the story looks at um, perhaps some of the lies we tell ourselves that we're happy in mm-hmm. marriage when we're maybe not and the power of attraction, um, the importance of um, sexual satisfaction for mums, wives, you know, who... Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps that's not something that is forefront of people's minds, um, but that's still really important. Mm. Yeah. So, and it was all those kind of things. And it was her that, telling you that story. Yeah. And I just felt like I was being told this story. Um, and it was just about, it was about someone who was her own worst enemy. That's what I knew I was writing. I was writing a story about someone who was going into self-destruct and trying to find out why, like how could and I help wasn't this person you. out? It wasn't me. No, because no. people often ask that in fiction, oh, don't my they? Poor husband. We yeah. we actually took a photo of him sitting next to the banner of the book where it said, "What if you met the love of your life and it wasn't your husband?" And he's just pointing with this really sarcastic <laughs> look on his face, like, "Look at what I have to promote." <laughs> but yeah, but it did come. It definitely. Um, there's a lot of pain in that book, and it definitely came from a place of pain for me I had recently um my third child was stillborn and that book came very soon after that happened so part of me and I didn't even think about it at the time it wasn't something that registered at all with me but part of it later I was like it was like this just outpouring of grief Mm -hmm. that came out another way Mm -hmm. um and I think that perhaps I was able to really tap into someone who's hurting and lost because at the time I was really hurting and lost and my relationship with my husband hadn't, it wasn't this terrible disintegrating relationship, but I was in a place of a lot of pain. So I think well, and a pl- in from. a place of personal grief. Yeah. And you probably both were. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So it was kind of an escape for me writing mm. that novel, just throwing myself into that novel was, it really gave me like an out. And People often, and we talk about this a lot here at Better Reading, the craft of writing, right? yeah. you know, how to write and learning yeah. how to write. Yeah. Um, and as we speak, we're recording a six-part series on how to write. So how is it that you sit down and just write something? I mean, 50,000 words is a lot of writing. I wish I knew because I would have repeated that for my next two books mm. because the next ones came the way everyone else writes their book, you know, just with roadblocks and it was hard and kept having to go back and being lost and 
I've never been able to repeat what just poured out in that first book. I wish I could bottle it, whatever it was, but I found each book that I write actually more difficult than the one before to mm. get the story out. Rather than becoming easier, I feel like it's getting harder. Mm. Um, we spoke to Lee Child recently and, you know, a huge successful author yeah. who's written God knows how many books. Um, but he, he said it just doesn't get easier from book to book. Yeah. So I, I think that, yeah. you know, that's a pain a world of pain for all authors, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So how was your first book? So how did you get to be published? I um I didn't get published for a very long time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. After I wrote it, I think it was like seven years between writing it and getting published. I was roundly rejected by every single literary agent in Australia that because that's mm. what I decided to go through an agent because I had nothing. Like I had no CV to speak of at all, no credentials, and I just had this rough story that I'd drafted and I thought publishers are just going to laugh me out of town. There's no way I can submit to a publisher on my own. So I um, submitted to agents, took about a year and a half for all of them to get back to me with their rejections, including the agent who I now have. She rejected you it. Could, yeah. Um, and then she actually, uh, I got an email out of the blue two years later. So by that stage, the manuscript was just literally And did you go back bed. and rework it? or you? I, I had reworked it a lot um, before. So I spent about a year and a half working with, um, like I paid my own editors to work yeah. with me to improve it because I knew that you know it was crap the way I'd written it, just that initial draft. Um, and so they worked with me a lot. And it wasn't until about a year and a half later that I felt the confidence to submit it to agents. Um, and then they all rejected it as well. But then this one agent, Jacinta um, Damaze, she came back to me two years after she initially rejected it. But I just got this email out of the blue and she said, I don't know, you know, if you remember me, I don't know if you're still writing or what's happening or did you ever sell that book? Um, she said, because it's now been two years since I rejected your book and every time I get on a flight, I look at who's sitting next to me and it makes me think about your book. She said, so I'm thinking that I, I should follow this through now because she gets thousands of submissions a year from authors and she was still thinking about it. So, yeah, so then she was amazing. She took me on, signed me on, and I reworked it again with her. We worked on it together until she felt it was good enough to submit to publishers. And then, yeah, we submitted to couple of publishers. I think HarperCollins was the second or third publishing house we submitted to. 
And at the time, they had um, an impulse brand, which was just ebook only, with mm-hmm. you know, um, no a- advance payment, just royalties, um, and you're pretty much you're marketing yourself. They're giving you the platform. And she said, "Look, this is quite new, and they've offered you this. They're not offering you a, you know, proper book deal, but they're giving you this leg in as an ebook." We haven't actually exhausted all our options yet. There's still other publishers we can go to to, you know, try and get a, a print deal. But I was really obsessed with going to HarperCollins. I didn't want anyone else because I wanted Colleen McCulloch's publisher. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Very shallow like that. Yeah. Like, oh, that's not shallow. I, that's wanted, a good I just wanted yeah. to be able to say to people who I met that I had the same publisher as Colleen McCulloch. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. And um, so I said, no, let's just go. Can we please just sign with HarperCollins? So she was wonderful because as my agent who'd worked with me on this book for a long time and had gone out and pitched it, she didn't get a cent from that sale because there was no advance. And she still did that for me because she knew that's what I wanted. Mm. And then the ebook actually, it did well. It sold well. And it, yeah, I think. And I just tell me, word of tell mouth. me then how it got into print, and what kind of process was that? Did you have to go back and relook yes, at it? Yes, yes, talk we to did. me about that. So um, after once it had gone out as an ebook, I think because it was a a woman having an affair, not a man. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone had done that since the Bride Stripped Bear in Australia, um, and. It was a woman having an affair and cheating on a good man, not a mm. man that hurt her or abused her. So I think it was actually pretty ironically, it was the bad reviews that got the attention for the book because people were very riled about this book. And I think it just triggered people. And so people started talking about it. And then that's how words started to spread. And then the good reviews started coming in. Um, so yeah, then it was nominated for an award, which is, I didn't even Still know this as award an e-book. existed. Yeah, it was an ebook. And, um, and, and it was up against all these books that were selling really well, like printed books on shelves in bookstores. And it won book of the year. So that was just such a huge shock. But, um, anyway, I told my, you know, obviously was celebrating with my publisher, Mary, that it had won book of the year. I was so excited. And then, Maybe about a week, one or two weeks after it won that, I had a phone call from my agent. It was just before Christmas, like a couple of days before Christmas. And she said to me, I've got a present for you that Santa's never going to be able to bring you. And it was the print deal. So it was just amazing. It was just the way it happened was incredible. I was and so did excited. you have to change anything? Yes, we had to go back and edit. I went with my same editor, um, Diane Blacklock, who had done the ebook edit. Um, it wasn't as, I think, probably just budget time constraints that the ebooks weren't edited to the degree that the print books are edited. So we went back and did it again mm. and did a more And did a edit. lot change? Um, I think I probably softened the characters a bit for mass market. Yeah. I think that's probably, it was probably a little bit more raw and a bit more harsh the first time. So maybe the characters weren't as likable. Yeah. So I think we kind of softened them a little bit. That was probably the major change. But now that's a good point in talking about likable characters because that's a yeah. theme right throughout. You, you know, it yeah. is, you present people as they are. Yeah. Yeah, no sugarcoating. Yeah. No, and they're, they're actually the way and that scenarios. you get them, they're a little bit more sugarcoated than how I start off really harsh. So yeah. I get letters back, you know, from my publisher saying, no one's going to like this person. I think because I'm, 
kind of drawn to what makes people fallible and I, I don't like cookie cutter characters like I want to see your flaws and I think that's when you're really vulnerable is when I connect with a character as a reader so then I want to write what I like to read yeah yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Um, so in writing your second book it was a whole new learning experience mm, now because now much. we're a published author so you call yeah. I mean do you what do you call yourself do you call yourself I mean other than calling yourself Tess uh, yeah. <laughs> so what <laughs> Do you call yourself a writer or an I author? Do. I tend to or say physio. writer. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, no. Actually, yes. In life, I say if I'm ever meeting someone, I say I'm a physio. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the first thing I say. I think because I've done it's so much a part of my identity. I've been a physio since I was, you know, 21 years old. Yeah. So I, that tends to come first before the writer. Right. Yeah. Um. And. So tell me then how you approach a second book and a third book. Yeah, that the second book was it was really funny actually because my agent rang me and she said, "Look, HarperCollins, they're signing you on for it." Because I was really, really insistent on a one book deal. Because you thought you just had one in you. Yes, yes. Because I thought I had one, and I thought I was going to yeah, be a millionaire, which is, perfect, which is perfectly <laughs> yes. normal. A millionaire. Uh, I, I thought I was going to retire yeah, on yeah, that book. Yeah. <laughs> not just, many, not many writers. Exactly. Are, are and then that. she. She messages me and says, you know, they just want to know. They're not saying that you have to sign it. But they want to know what the second book's about. And I'm like, what second book? There yeah. is no second book. It was very funny because my husband was um, – I got the email at night because she does a lot of her work at night or on the weekend, my agent. She's self-flagellating yes. lady. <laughs> um, so I got the email at night. Hus- Hubby was watching the West Coast Eagles on TV. He was in the beanbag in front of me. I was back on the couch. And he's Australian. I'm Egyptian. Australian. I looked over, um, yeah, Egyptian Australian. I've looked over <laughs> at him and started typing. It's about a cross cultural marriage between an Egyptian and an Australian. And then I looked at the TV and wrote, and there's footy in it. <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, I had to go and write that book after that. Because you so set the tone. That's what I said. That's what came first. So. Um, yeah, but what's interesting is that the book, you know, I was just kind of making shit up for what my next book was going to be because I didn't know. But then once I actually was like, okay, you now need to go and write this book, that's when I really thought about what I wanted to put across in a book. My first book, just it, I had no chance to think. It just poured out. It was just this passionate story I wanted to tell. But with the second one, I was like, okay, I've got a platform now. I know that thousands of people are going to read this book, so what story do I want to say? And for me, it was all about asylum seekers because that's where my heart was, it still is, um, and that was the story that I wanted to tell. So mm. I, I had to somehow find a way to make it about that. And, you know, there are no Egyptian asylum seekers and I'd promised an Egyptian story, so then I had to kind of work out how to fit that in. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's empathy though, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it is about yeah. that. Um, you talk about um, love and relationships in their rawest forms, yeah. you know, in right throughout your books, you know, yeah. that, again, no sugarcoating. Um, <clears throat> but do you think sometimes people want to read that or is it – because I, I don't know, I mean, or do we need escapism? I mean, how yeah. do you think your readers respond to your characters? I think the readers that come to me are looking for that. They're looking yeah. for something that reflects real life. But I think that is also why I'm not universally read, you know, mm. because I'm not – there's people that would definitely not be attracted to that kind of book and mm. it's too confronting and – um 
yeah, it's they want more of a happy escape, and I perhaps don't provide the as much happy factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I, I, I mean, that's what I like about them, though—the fact that they do make you feel uncomfortable sometimes. Yeah, and they're know? the books that I love to read. Like, I yeah. love books that really um, just challenge me and make me think about them for weeks afterwards. And so, tell me about the discipline of writing. So, yeah, you're finding it. You know, you found it challenging writing the second book and the third book but yeah. where do you find the time I mean what yeah. I mean writers often talk about this that you know I mean yeah. it's obviously not nine to five because mm. you've got a nine to five job so yeah. how do you juggle that well I did cut back my hours so I did have the two days a week where the kids were at school and yeah. I wrote then but it's still not enough like even those yeah. so I wrote a lot early morning all right late at night mm. you know through the weekends I just find time whenever I can and I'm very strict on myself with like I sit down and I'm like you are not getting up until you've written 2,000 words. Don't care mm. if they're 2,000 crap words that you'll go and delete later but you're going to get 2,000 words further on your novel. Mm. So I tend not to write unless I can put out 2,000 words at a time. Because that keeps the connection with the story. Yeah, and it just makes me do it, you know. Yeah. Um, if I don't, if I wrote when I felt like writing, I'd never write. Like I never have that creative impulse to, you know, perhaps mm. the romantic image that people have of a writer. That's not me at all. Well, I haven't it's met a, anyone who writes like that. Yeah, I yeah. just it's it's a slog. Yeah. Um, and you you have to keep writing when you don't love your book anymore because you have these fresh ideas and you're like, oh, this is going to be amazing, and then you know, thirty thousand words in. Not mm. so amazing, but you've got to see it through to the end. Mm. So love and other battles. I mean, yes. again, as it is, it, it's. Uh, I, I think it's there in the title. Um, and did that have the same experience for you of sitting? You know that where where did the idea come from, mm. and when did you think, okay, okay, I've got to start this book? Yeah, the idea pretty much came like beautiful messy love, which was making shit up on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Literally. So I knew that it was coming though because Beautiful Messy Love was about to be published, I think. And I went to see a Leanne Moriarty talk. Yeah. And in that talk, she was on stage and she was saying, I can't even remember exactly she what she said. she doesn't sugarcoat much. No, 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 she's wonderful. And I was just kind of soaking in everything she said. And she said something about how there's that um, she's had an attraction or she loves books that are those sweeping sagas, multi-generational sagas. And I looked, I had Natasha Lester sitting next to me and I said to her, I'm going to write a multi-generational saga. That's where that bit came from. Yeah. It was just hearing Leanne Moriarty say it. And then we went out for lunch after the talk or because we had a group of I think maybe 10 authors that went to that talk together. And we went out for lunch and an author called Renee, um, I was I was freaking out to everyone that I knew I had to come up with another book and all I had was the multi-generational thing now that I just thought of. Yeah. And she said, do you know what you should write about? You should write about my grandma who grows dope in the backyard. Oh. And everyone just kind of laughed. And then I can't remember who or someone looked at me and said, you are actually going to do that, aren't you? And I was like, I, I so am because that's a story. Yeah. There's a story in that for a grandma to be growing dope and selling it from her backyard. Um, so I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew that I had the three generations and the grandma that's smuggling dope somehow from the backyard. And that is actually what I sold my publisher a few days later, I said yeah. to her, "This is this is always what I want to strong write. women." 
Yeah, strong always women. And it always, it's funny because it always comes from this place of, oh, I don't know what I'm going to write next. I quickly have to make something up. But then I become really, really passionate once I start writing. So mm. I don't start off with an idea that I'm very passionate about. It develops as I actually write the story and mm. then, mm. yeah. Well, Tess Woods, always a pleasure. Congratulations and thank you thank for you. coming all this way to see oh, us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. <laughs> if you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play, or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.